0: Thank you for joining us for our midweek services as we continue our study of discipleship in the local church. We do pray that it has been helpful for you over these past, I think, three or four weeks as we've been going through discipleship in in the local church. Thus far in our studies, Pastor John has described for us what discipleship is. If you're taking notes, discipleship is... A relationship in which we seek to do spiritual good for someone. Let me pause right there. If you're taking notes, discipleship is a relationship in which we seek to do spiritual good for someone. How? By initiating. By teaching. Correcting. Modeling. Loving. Loving. Humbling ourselves, counseling, influencing those whom God has placed in our lives in this local church. Those who God has placed in our lives and in this local church. I'll say that again. Discipleship is a relationship in which we seek to do spiritual good for someone by initiating, teaching, modeling, loving Humbling ourselves, counseling, and influencing those whom God has placed in our lives in this local church. We also learned where, where we are to begin to obey the command to make disciples. Based on our last series, the series that I taught, Family Discipleship, I would argue that the where of Discipleship, the where should begin in your own homes. First and foremost, in your own homes. And we'll discuss that further tonight. Let me just say, moving from our home, we should seek to disciple those who are in our local church. So where? Start in your homes. Then moving from your home to the local church. Now, discipling in the local church would assume that those who are in your local church are members of your local church. There are those who come consistently who are, are not members, but are in process of becoming members. Disciple those. The elders of this church, we most often make disciples or practice the, the command or obey the command of discipleship each time that we exposit the word of God each Lord's Day for the people of God. That is when we most often disciple. That is when we most regularly or most normally disciple. Right now, as God's word is being preached or as I am speaking to you, you are being discipled. You are being taught right now. And yet our jobs of discipleship are not isolated to this pulpit. Meaning when I step off of this pulpit, my job is not done. This is only one portion Of our job as elders. So once we preach, then we have another job, and that is to shepherd the flock, and that is on a one on one basis. We are commanded, just as members of the church, to do spiritual good to members, just like every other member should be doing to one another. That's our job. And, brothers and sisters, let me say to you that you must hold us accountable to that, as we hold you accountable to your role of discipleship in this church as well. Our first and foremost calling, though, in this local church, which is why we have been set apart, is to the exposition of God's word. That is our first and foremost calling in this church. You also, you may not be an elder, you may not be a deacon, but you are called a disciple as we are called a disciple in this local church. And let me say this, we must not walk away from our family discipleship series concluding, that then we have no obligation to the members of our local church, but rather our only obligation or our sole obligation is to our families and to our families alone. That is a wrong conclusion to walk away with from our family discipleship series. Are you hearing me? It's not so. God, the Holy Spirit, would not go to all of the trouble of inspiring his servants to to write various commands to the local church, if he had not intended for the local church to live in such a way, to care for one another in such a way, that we would be witnesses to the unbelieving world, to the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So your obligation is not only to your family. Why? What do you call one another? What do you call one another? Most regularly, brother, sister. So if you say that my First obligation or my only obligation is to my brother or to my sister or to my husband or to my wives. Are you not calling one another brother and sister as if you were family? So then your obligation is also to one another or else don't call me brother. And don't call me sister. Please don't call me sister. (laughs) Second John five, the apostle Paul commands that we are to love one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, the Apostle Paul commands that we are to encourage one another and build one another up. 1 Thessalonians, Paul also commands that we are to instruct one another so that we may mature in Christ or as to see one another mature in Christ. The author of the Hebrews, whom we also believe is Paul, commanded that we consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds or love and good works. Later, the author of the book of Hebrews writes that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves and that we are also to submit to elders who keep watch over our souls. There is much work that you and I have to accomplish and to do in this local church. There is much work. We are called not only to reach our families with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To teach them what it means to follow Christ. But we are also called to make sure that the, the members of this local church know the gospel. We are also called to make sure that, they are, that we are guarding the gospel. By making sure that they are listening to the right gospel. That they have the right understanding and presentation of the gospel. That is our job. It is our job to not only teach our families what it means to follow Christ. It is our job to teach one another. What it means to follow Christ. Question then. How are you obeying these commands so far? How then are you obeying these commands thus far? How intentional are you in this local church to obey the command? To stir one another up to love and good works. Have you done that lately? To whom? Or do you consider encouragements to tell people to love one another or to do good works? Do you consider that to be out of bounds for you? Do you consider it to be out of bounds to tell someone else to love and to do good works? Well, why? If you consider it to be out of bounds, then what really is our relationship one to another? Are we just showing up? And are we just bodies who claim to be brothers, who call one another brother and sister, but take no actual responsibility for one another? If that's the case, then we're really, to take the old phrase, playing church. Would you be offended if I said to you, you're not as passionate with God's word as you used to be? What has happened to you? Is that offensive? Or is it a wake-up call for you to say, maybe I am not. Maybe that's exactly what I needed to hear, and thank you for loving me enough to say something to me. Is it offensive to encourage your fellow believers to love more, to pursue good deeds? Is that offensive? Or do you consider the command to instruct one another offensive as well? How humble are we to receive instructions? How earnestly do we seek, listen, how earnestly do we seek opportunities in this local church to take advantage of the instruction that's provided for us? Think about it. Now road. Worship. Marriage matters. Just think about this week. This local gathering that we're having now. Tomorrow, the race. Coming up, hungry and the homeless. How many of these things? Now, obviously, we can't take advantage of all of them. But are we taking advantage of any of them to be instructed, to be a part of the life of this church? Do we tend to avoid conversations where we might be instructed? Because we don't want to hear it. Or we don't want to feel like we don't know something. That's not humility, that's pride. Do we believe that we are content with the knowledge that we present, presently present or possess? Are we content with what we know? Do we reserve our teachable moments for one particular teacher who speaks our language or who is uh, someone that we like more than others? Danger, Will Rogers. Danger. How actively are you obeying the command to make disciples? Brothers and sisters, we have a lot of responsibility, a lot of work to do in this local church. One may say, I've heard what discipleship is and where I should begin, but how do I get started? And that really asks the question, who? Who do I disciple? Who do I disciple? And I believe the Lord Jesus Christ provides for us a great example in the choosing of his disciples. Luke chapter 5. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 5. Verse 1 through 11. <clears throat> this is God's word. Give it your full attention. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Ger- Gernasaret, or and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were fishing their, or washing their nets, enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled the boats or both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken and so also were james and john sons of zebedee who were partners with simon and jesus said to simon do not be afraid for from now on you will be catching men and when they had brought back brought their boats to land they left everything and followed him please be seated this is the word of the lord <clears throat> This is the account of the calling of Simon Peter. Now, keep your Bibles open to Luke there. I would like you to notice the seemingly random choice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. I would like you to notice the seemingly random choice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their net. The Lord Jesus Christ is preparing to teach as crowds are pressing in on him. And then he goes to to do what, and I'll speak about this in a moment, what many teachers of that day did in order to separate themselves from the crowd. He got into a boat. But there is a slight dilemma, isn't there? There are two boats. Which boat should he enter? In order to answer that question, let's take a step back. The crowds are pressing in. But why? They've heard whispers of a man who stood in the synagogue and read from the prophet Isaiah, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, one page over. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After he read, he rolled up the scroll and sat down. All the eyes were upon him, if you can imagine. And when he sat down, he uttered these words. Today, verse 21 of chapter 4, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. They were, before their very eyes, seeing the fulfillment of what they had longed to see from the prophet Isaiah's prophecy. What is that? The coming of the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He is saying, that is me. They marveled at this son of Joseph, as they will call him. And yet a prophet... Is not honored in his own town. They chased him to the edge of a cliff. Seeking to throw him off of that cliff. But somehow, some way, he passed through their midst. Going on from there, he went to Capernaum. And he began to teach. There he displayed his power and authority over demons. Who shirked, shirked at the sight of the Holy One of God. And with a word. Of his mouth, he cast those unclean spirits out of those people. And they came out with loud screaming. He came and healed the oppressed. And his fame began to spread. Then the Lord Jesus found himself invited to a man's house. The man's house, or the man's house, or the man who owned the house, was named Simon. Did you know that they had met prior to this Meeting at the lake. He was invited to Simon's house. Why? Well, Simon had obviously, someone had obviously heard of the great power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they invited Jesus to Simon's house. What was going on at Simon's house? Simon's mother-in-law had fell ill. And during this time, to fall ill often meant to fall to your death. The Lord Jesus Christ came. And the Bible says in verse 39 of chapter 4, he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. Immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now you must understand the severity of this sickness. To be sick in that day is often to sign or to experience your own death. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes and stands before this woman, stands over her and says to her, Or to that sickness, be gone. And immediately she says, Who's hungry? (laughs) Can you imagine? Now, we read that and we can almost read past it without putting ourselves in the sandals of those who are in that house and experiencing maybe the mindset that they were possibly experiencing. Who is this man? That at one word, Sickness would leave this woman. Who is this man? And they all stood in awe, in an amazement, as the Lord Jesus Christ displayed his great authority. And who was there amongst them? A man by the name of Simon. Where was he? Who knows? But he sure enough saw, or at least heard, of the great power and authority of this man. He was not like everyone else. He was just like everyone else who was amazed at the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ finds himself at a lake. We don't know the the time that had lapsed between being at Simon Peter's house, or Simon's house, we'll call him for now, and then being at Simon's boat. But whatever the time was, whatever that that time or space was, it was no happenstance that the Lord Jesus Christ now finds himself standing before Simon's boat. Perhaps we will never know on this side of glory how that moment at Simon's house impacted him and for the rest of his life. Until... We get to verse or chapter five, verse one. On one occasion. Again, we're not sure of the time lapse, but on one occasion between the first meeting of Simon and the second meeting of Simon. Here we are. Verse one. While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing near or standing by the lake. Genesaret. He saw two boats by the lake. But where were the fishermen? The fishermen had gone and they were washing their nets. Imagine the scene. The crowds have heard of this man who claims by his own admission to be the Messiah, who has authority over demons, who has authority over sickness. And they have come to hear his words, possibly even to receive their own healing. The Lord Jesus Christ stands in the boat, picks one, He picks one. Which boat? Which boat should he choose? Does he do an eeny, meeny, miny, Mo? He picks a boat. And does our Lord do anything randomly? No. Everything is intentional. And if you can imagine, he does pick a boat. If you can imagine to the surprise of the boat's owner to come back from washing his nets only to see the person who had healed his mother-in-law standing in his boat teaching the crowds. Verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Simon did not say, Hey, get out of my boat. What could he do? Wait till the man's done. Do you think he went somewhere else while Jesus taught? Or do you think that he once again sat or maybe even stood to listen what this man who had healed his mother-in-law has to say? And think about this. What did he say? What was it that the Lord Jesus Christ taught when he was teaching from Simon's boat? Think about that. What, What do you think he taught? I'm sure he taught what he always taught. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We'll never know on this side of glory. But what we do know is that when he was done, Simon Peter was there. And what does he say? Simon, let's go fishing. And what does Simon say? I've been working all night. I've been working all night. We've been working all night. And we've caught nothing. And you're asking me now to push out, to launch out into the deep. You got into my boat, and now you're telling me to go fishing again. Simon objected. And yet he still obeyed. Nevertheless, because you say so. What did he just get done saying? That would cause Simon, who was a man's man, to say to this man, Because you say so. We will do what you say. They had gone out and they had caught such a large catch that their nets began to break. Can you imagine the joy and elation of the fishermen who had caught nothing all night and now have caught something? Can you turn the air on, please, brother? Can you imagine So many fish that their nets began to break. The other fishermen were touched by the catch of the fish that night. While Simon Peter was touched by God, the Holy Spirit. Who changed Simon's heart. And and, and notice something interesting in in that passage there. Up until then, he had been called Simon. Simon. And then, when he falls on his knees in verse 8, he's called Simon Peter. There was a change in his heart. He's no longer just Simon, he's now the rock. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And what was was the response of the Lord Jesus Christ? Verse 10. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. The Lord Jesus had chosen this man before the foundation of the world. He had intentionally gone after this lost sheep. He went to this lost sheep's mother-in-law's house and healed his mother in law he stood in his boat intentionally picking his boat and in a sense, picking Peter. By choosing Peter's boat, the Lord Jesus Christ chose Peter. Verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now you should ask this. What in the world does all of that have to do with discipleship in the local church? I believe it has much to do with discipleship in the local church, especially when it comes to the question of this. Who should I choose to disciple? Question, who should you choose to disciple? In whose life should you invest your life? The Lord Jesus Christ answers many questions for us in whom we should choose as we observe his choosing of Simon Peter. And we're going to go through these rather quickly. I have just six or seven points for you tonight. Number one, choose your family. Number one, choose your family. This will be the only point that I feel is not relative to the verses that we're choosing tonight, that we've spoken of tonight. Although Simon Peter was not a relative of the Lord Jesus Christ, you nevertheless have a primary responsibility to the members of your household. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, should love their wives, or love their own wives. Husbands, men, you are to begin in your very own home and with your very own wife. You are to be a sanctifying influence on her, that you might present her to the Lord Jesus Christ, holy, without spot or blemish. Men, that is your job. That is your primary calling. When your kids leave your home, it will just be you and her. If that relationship has not been developed or cultivated in that time, it's going to be a very awkward moment. My son now learns the word awkward, he knows nothing of what it means. In the same way, you are called, and now I say you generally, you are called to disciple your children. The Bible commands in Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents, you are commanded to train up your children to fear God and to honor Him. You are to teach them God's Word when you rise and when you lie down. When you walk on the side of the road and when you sit at your dinner table. Parents, If you forfeit your role as spiritual leaders in your homes for fear that you don't want to chase your children away from God, have no fear. They are already running away from God. If you fear pressing upon your children God and pressing upon them a running away from God, have no fear. They already want nothing to do with God. And you don't help by letting them play on their phones when they're in church. By letting them do homework when they're in church. By letting them play with each other or toys when they're in church. You don't help letting them understand the severity of God's word. Do something else. This is not for you. No. Your children are already attempting to run away from God. It's their nature. As it was yours and mine. Your children are and mine are fallen sinners who presently live with Adam as their federal head and under the wrath of God. That is their ultimate end unless God the Holy Spirit regenerates their hearts through the preaching of the gospel. And I ask you, dear ones, who will be the one to preach to them the gospel? Will you pray that one day, hopefully, God brings someone else to bring the gospel to bear upon their lives? Or will you take responsibility and do it yourselves? Will you forfeit your call to guide your children spiritually for fear that you may run them off only to come to church alone hoping that one day they may come struggling, straggling in? No through someone else's preaching of the gospel when you all the time possessed it do your job do your job parents if they're not present with you when you meet with the saints and they're they're under 18 or let me just do this if they're in your home because they have a game Because they have homework. Or because they're doing something else. What message are you sending to your children? I tell you, the message that you're sending to your children is that God and the gathering of the saints is secondary and even third, fourth and fifth. If there's something else going on. That the gathering of the saints and the Lord Jesus Christ is an inconvenience to their lives if there's something else going on. That God being praised is okay as long as it fits with your schedule. As long as there are other activities taking place in your lives, hey, no pressure. Feel absolutely no pressure. Feel no pressure. Feel no pressure. Is tomorrow promise to your children? Do you have time? You don't. So stop treating life like you do. Press upon them the urgency of now. If you don't, they will feel no urgency, and they will go their own way. And let me tell you. If our lives are any example of how long it takes for us to come to Christ when we do it our own way, the answer will be never. We will never come to Christ when we do it our own way. Never. That's a slippery slope. Well, it's hard because they don't understand the preaching anymore. We don't have class for them. Well, whose job is it for, them, for to, to help them understand what we, are, what we are saying? It's your job. It's hard for them to understand divine impassibility. Is it? My wife and I, driving home, explained divine impassibility to Nazareth. He's four. Nazareth, do you understand what impassibility means? What do you think he's going to say? Of course, Father. Divine impassibility means that God changeth not. No. We explained to him, it just means that God doesn't change, son. And that's a good thing. Because sometimes you're going to make mistakes, son. And if you trust in Jesus, his love for you is never going to change. Does that make sense, son? Yeah. You can't do that. Let me ask you a question. How often have you talked to your kids after a sermon about what they just heard? If you're not, then who's going to do that? And guess what they're going to say? I don't want to go to church. I don't understand anything they're saying. I know you will one day. Why don't we start today? And why don't we start with you? Those who are in your home. Whether you're married, married with children, or single with children, start in your home. Who should you disciple? Wow, that was a long point one. Point two. Who should you disciple? The members of the local church or the members of your local church. Simon. Now here's where we get back to our text. Simon was not yet Simon Peter until the Lord Jesus Christ called him and the Holy Spirit regenerated his heart. Then he became, upon his belief, a member of Christ's body. The Lord Jesus Christ did not disciple Simon until when? Until he became a believer. Once Simon had shown evidences of belief and faith. What does the Lord Jesus Christ say? Follow me, and I'm going to teach you. I'm going to disciple you. So, So that you can do what? So that you, Peter, could disciple I'm going to do spiritual good to you for three and a half years so that you could do spiritual good for the rest of your life to others. Who should I disciple? Look to those who are members of your local church. Side question, is it possible to disciple unbelievers? No. No, you don't disciple unbelievers in the ways of Christ not in deliberately doing spiritual good. That is, discussing and explaining explaining spiritual matters with spiritual application, which results in praise and glory to God. You cannot disciple an unbeliever. You may share the gospel with an unbeliever or evangelize an unbeliever, but you cannot disciple an unbeliever. They must be a believer in order for them to be discipled. And then look to the members of your church. One may say... I disciple others outside of our church I appreciate the people in our church but I I lean more towards those who are outside of my church it's problematic why? first and foremost you are called with a great responsibility to those who are in this church not to other churches are we to love other people of other churches? yes but are you responsible for the other people in the other churches? no do I pray for other members of other churches? no I don't. I pray for you. Sorry. I don't know very very many members of other churches. I know pastors from other churches, and I pray for them every now and then. Who do I most regularly pray for? You. You're in my life. I'm responsible for you, and you're responsible for me. So it is problematic to say, well, I help others of other congregations. Here's a few things. You being led by the same elders here. You're sitting under the same teachings. You are members of this church. As members of this church, you affirm the same statements of faith. You affirm the same church covenant. You hold to the same confession. You see each other, sometimes more than your own families. More than once a week. It is most normal. And most appropriate for you to build relationships with those who are in this local church, rather than you working hard to build relationships with those who are outside of this local church. For instance, this is just a side note again. When we had our conference, everyone was saying, I thought more people were going to come. I thought everybody who, was, who, was, who came was supposed to be here. Why? Because I looked for all of our members. I don't care if anybody else comes. We made room for everyone else to come, but I wanted to see you. Because we're going to keep talking about this. What they do with that, that's on them. I'm not their pastor. I'm your pastor. I'm concerned about you. Those who say, you can uh, <clears throat> disciple those from other churches, it would be very difficult. Especially if all the things that I just mentioned, you don't have in common. You don't sit in the same teaching. You don't hold the same statements of faith. You don't hold the same confession. You don't hold the same covenant. That's a lot of things that you don't have in common. Brothers and sisters, use your efforts to make disciples in this local church. Find out in this local church how you can be an encouragement to those in this church. There are those who need you in this church. And some of us spend more time with others outside of this church and ignore the people inside of this church. Makes no sense to me. Ask yourself this. I was thinking about this when I studied, so I'm going to ask you the question. What is the intention of your relationships here in this local church? That may sound like an odd question, so let me flesh it out. What do you hope to gain from those that you gather with here on a weekly basis? What do you want from them? Do you hope to gain anything from them at all? I think if you're honest, if we're honest, many of us would say, I don't want anything from them. Friendship? Friendship would be nice. Can you shut the air off now, Ray? Some of you don't even want friendship. I don't care about all that, right? Don't misunderstand me now. Friendship is a wonderful thing. We sometimes gain great friends in the local church. But should friendship be our primary motivation in this local church? Friendship. Think about the choosing of of Simon Peter. Was the Lord Jesus Christ looking for a friend? huh? Or was the Lord Jesus Christ intending on drawing Simon Peter near to himself so that he could equip him to turn the world upside down? I think the latter is true. What does Paul say? That we are to do what? Desire to see one another mature in Christ. Well, that sounds like someone who wants to see people make an impact in the world and therefore do intentional spiritual good to them, not just, hey, buddy, hey, friend. To talk about the game or to talk about our favorite restaurants, those things are not sinful in and of themselves, but if that's all we do. And if that's as deep as we launch out, then we are going to have very shallow relationships. And and the depths, if that's the depths of what binds us together, then our relationships are meaningless. And in the end, they're fruitless. If that's all that binds us together, if you find yourself coming here, and all you talk about is, Things that really don't matter. And I'm sure if you start to think about, uh, think back on some of the conversations, you would start to say, yeah, there's a lot of those. Then stop. You're the only one who's going to change that. You're the only one who's going to change that. If you only make your relationships, all we talk about is sports. Then guess what they're going to want to talk to you about all the time? Sports. Unless you change it. Hey, what did you think about the sermon it may shock the person's world by you asking them that kind of question. Why are you asking me all these kind of questions? <laughs> Why do we got to get so deep? You know, Those are good questions to ask. But guess what? You have now made a hard left turn or a hard right turn in those relationships just by that one question. They now know, oh gosh, now he's serious. But they may want that too. They may be just like me and my wife when we're both loving each other and just waiting for someone else to say it to one another. Thank God you finally asked me a spiritual question. I was waiting for you. I, didn't, I was wondering who was going to do it first. Do it. Start here. And, and listen, isn't that what you really want? Follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Call those in this local church to step out in faith as the Lord Jesus Christ called uh, Peter to step out in faith. Call those in this local church to cast out their nets into the deep waters. Waters that they believe are beyond them. Call those in this lo- local church to follow Christ and to fear fearlessly follow Christ. And again, isn't that what you really want out of this church? Isn't that the kind of relationships that you long for? Not people you can gossip with, people you can pray with. Men, disciple men, those who are older, those who are younger, those who are your age. Women, disciple women, those who are older, those who are younger, those who are your age. I find that I learn much from those who are my age, younger and older. What about you? Is there a cap, an age bracket from whom you think you can learn from? This may shock you. Sam Renahan, who came, is 28 years old. He looks like he's 40. Sorry, honey. Good dude. He won't hear this. (laughs) He ain't listening to me. (laughs) Can you learn from a younger person? Of course. Will someone's age prevent you from learning from them? I hope not. And if you're constantly bringing up age, let me encourage you tonight. Get over it. Get over it. Learn from those who are younger. Learn from those who are older. Learn from people. Start in this church. Be a sponge. Learn from all those in this local church. Ignore all of your differences and hear what's coming out of their mouths. All of your backgrounds. Let's go to the third point. Who should you disciple? Those who are different from you. This is the point from Mark Dever's book. Let me just bring it out real quick. This is a book that we've been teaching from, discipling. All the points tonight, uh, maybe two of them come from this book. The rest of it is just me teaching you. One of the things that I learned from watching this brother and those who have been a part of Nine Marks, when I was in Texas, I watched men from different ethnicities stand behind the same pulpit and preach the same gospel. What an encouragement that was for me. Let me say to us, you should look for those who are different from you. If you only gravitate toward those who have your background, seem to have your kind of of upbringing, you're going to live a very isolated life. And you're also not going to be very diverse in your understanding of people. I encourage you, go to people who are different from you. And what does that display? That you're diverse? That you believe in diversity? No, it, it, it displays this. The power of the gospel when you are sitting with a person who is other than you, who looks differently than you, who has a different background than you, it doesn't display that you're a diverse person and that you're progressive. It displays that you are a product of the gospel that crosses ethnicity lines, that crosses economic lines, that crosses every kind of barrier that would separate us from one another. And that's what you want. You want to show to the world this is what happens when Christ saves his people. This is what his church looks like. Every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, we are united in Christ. Disciple those who look differently than you. The Bible declares in Ephesians 2.18, both Jews and Gentiles have access in one spirit to the Father. I'll read this quote from this book from Mark Dever the dividing wall of partition between Jew and Gentile was brought down at the cross of Calvary. And now the wisdom of God is displayed through the unity of these formerly divided people. And now, of course, the unity that the church experiences now across ethnic, economic, education, and other kinds of, dividing, of divides anticipates that day when a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples, languages, standing perfectly together before God's throne in worship. Do you isolate the gospel only to those who look like you? We should not. Amen. Who are you discipling or who should I disciple? Consider spending time with college students. Think about talking to to youth, older people. Talk to people from other countries, if you know any. I know in Bakersfield it's kind of hard to find them. Talk to people with different ethnic backgrounds, different economic backgrounds. Don't be intimidated by them. You're a person and a a human being just like them. Don't allow yourself to be intimidated when you see someone who looks differently than you. Reach out to them in the love of Christ. Don't limit yourselves. And don't limit others from what you might learn from them. Which leads to our next point, number four, be teachable. Or, Or who should I disciple? Someone who's teachable. Someone who's teachable. Number four, someone who's teachable when Simon Peter saw the great catch and began to beg that the Lord Jesus Christ depart from him because of his great sin, through his time with Jesus, he displayed that he was teachable. He disobeyed much. He argued much. But he was correctable. He was able to be taught. The Proverbs (laughs) rebukes fools who scorn, rebuke, instruction, and counsel. They are fools who who reject these things. You don't want to spend your time... Let me slow down. You don't want to spend your time teaching someone who doesn't feel like they have anything to learn from you. You hear that? Don't waste your time trying to teach someone who doesn't feel like you have anything to teach. Or who doesn't feel like they have anything to learn. Don't waste your time trying to teach someone who feels content with what they have. Content with what they know. Go to someone else. There are plenty of other people who are hungry to learn. Teach those who are teachable. Let's go on quickly. Five. Teach others or teach those who will teach others. Number five. Who should I disciple? Disciple those who will teach others. Or teach those who will teach others. When Christ called Simon Peter, he did not call Simon Peter with the intention of having all that he taught ending with Simon Peter. Does that make sense? Everything that the Lord Jesus Christ would teach Simon Peter in the three and a half years that he would walk with him was not intending to end with Simon Peter. It was intending to go beyond Simon Peter to reach you and I here today. The Apostle Paul commanded Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2. What you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Who will do what? Who will be able to teach others also. Teach those who will be faithful to do what? To teach others. Teach those who will be faithful to teach others. When we teach here, we do not intend for our teachings to end with you. Pass them on. One of the things I loved during our gospel series was hearing how many people in the church were asking people, tell me the gospel. Tell me the gospel. No, tell me the gospel. That's not the gospel. Let me tell you the gospel. It was great. Some of you were very prideful in your presentation of the gospel, just plain, uh, because you knew the gospel and you knew that everybody else didn't. But it was wonderful to hear how many of you were saying, I share the gospel. They didn't know the gospel. I shared the gospel. They kind of knew the gospel. You were so passionate about that. When we went through the doctrines of Grace, every single one of you were trying to convert people to Calvinism. Why? Because you were passing on what had been taught to you. Prayerfully, you passing on that God does not change. And that you understand why God does not change. How God does not change. Look to disciple those who are hungry to learn. And hungry to teach. Because if they're hungry to learn and hungry to teach, it will not. what you teach them will not end with them. It will be passed on. Amen. You realize that we are believers here today, 2017, because the Holy Spirit moved others to obey the command to make disciples. They did not keep the gospel to themselves, but they earnestly, passionately took what was given to them and passed it on to the next person. And now here you are. So who will credit you with giving the gospel to them? Who will credit you with giving the gospel to them? I could look back and say, who had an influence in my life in discipling me and helping me to understand the gospel? Who will mention you when they look back and say, Rosita, help me. When I was just learning this gospel, and now I've been able to help so-and-so. Who will say your name? Six, and finally, I think. Who should we disciple? Disciple those who are present. It seems like an odd point. When the Lord Jesus Christ called Simon Peter, disciple those who are present. There was a commitment on the part of our Lord to be present with Simon Peter. As long as Simon Peter made the commitment to be present with the Lord. Christ would teach Peter. As long as Peter remained faithful to follow Christ. And was he not faithful? Was he not present with Christ every single day for three and a half years? When you are discipling others, one of the most obvious factors in that process is, they've got to be here. They've got to be here. Because our schedules outside of here are crazy. Are they not? Try to make time to meet with someone every single week. Unless you have no job, it's easy or it's difficult. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves. It is a tragedy that many criticisms against the local church are against are from those who are absent from the local church. Many of the criticisms against the local church come from those who are absent, visibly absent from the local church. They are those who take no time to involve themselves in the life of the local church. And they are the ones who have the most critiques about the life of the local church. When we are looking for who to disciple, look to those who are here, who are always here who are faithful, who are consistent, who are, and I'm just going to mention just a few people, like Dominga, who sits so quietly. I wish we had a whole church full of Domingas. No trouble. (laughs) Or Julia. No trouble. I love the rest of you. I'm just playing with the rest of you. Y'all looking at me with that. Don't look at me that way. But there are those who are so quiet that they could go completely missed and yet they are here all the time. And some of us don't even know their names. But we worry about the person. I wonder whatever happened to so-and-so. They ain't been here in eight months. Forget them. Go to these people. Seriously. These people are always here. And I'm just not talking about them. I'm talking about most of you here. all mostly all of you. There are those here who need you. And they're always here. So go to them. Show them the love of Christ. Look for those who are faithful. And if you are finding that you are in, inconsistently present. Listen, I'm going I'm to say this slow, clear, for everyone to hear. If you are finding you are inconsistently present on the Lord's Day Sabbath for midweek worship for prayer, for the race, for uh, hungry and homeless, women of the word, narrow road, all of those things. If you find yourself visibly absent from all of these different activities and opportunities, ask yourself, what kind of efforts am I making to be involved in the life of this church? Do extracurricular activities or events Take precedence over the command to worship God and to keep the Lord's day holy. To gather with the saints and to do spiritual good to them. What what let me make this clear to you? Why would you miss a Sunday? I'm speaking too too Puritan to you. Let me just make it clear to you. East Side Bakersfield. Why why would you miss a Sunday, Lord's Day? What is more important than a Lord's Day Sabbath than worshiping with the saints and obeying the command to keep that day holy? What is more important? I'm underst- I don't understand. What is more important than worshiping God on that day and gathering with the saints to worship your God? Nothing is more important. Unless you are sick, ill, or just completely booked with work that you, you are in the process of trying to get cleared up, there should be no reason why you miss a Lord's Day worship. Oh, we went to the beach. You went to the beach. Oh, we went to go to an event. You went to go to an event on the Lord's Day. The day that has been set apart of all of the days of the week to come and worship God. That's what you decided to do? Was there any kind of worship that day? Was there any gathering with your family to open up God's word on the Lord's day and to acknowledge him on that day? If not, let me say to you, that's a sin. And I I encourage you and I correct you as a pastor. Don't. Miss Lord's Day worship. How have you made your presence felt in this local church? We're done. Who in this local church have you intentionally done spiritual good to? Brothers and sisters, if you're going to be serious about making or obeying the command to make disciples and creating a culture of discipleship in your home and in this local church, then we've got to make this Priority over all other things in our lives. Start in your homes. Start with your wives and your children. Look to the local church. Do spiritual good to those who are fellow members of this church. Don't just look to those who are just like you. But be a great witness of the power of the gospel. And it's devastating lines of division. Or how it devastates lines of division. By reaching out to those who are unlike you. Disciple those who are teachable. Those who desire to teach others. Those who are present and involved in this church. And do all these things to the glory of God and to see his name and fame spread among the nations. In this church, in this city, and among the nations. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the, the the privilege that you've given me to speak to your people. I pray that it was challenging and edifying, encouraging and clarifying. Pray that you would move us now to not just hear but to obey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.